Hello and welcome to Six Sad World. I'm Mari. And I'm Jasmine. So, Happy New Year and welcome to a brand new year of your favorite podcast. Seeing as it is 2019, we want to start the new year on the right foot. <laughs> One of our New Year's resolutions was not to bum ourselves out and not to bum out our beloved listeners out in the first five minutes of our episode, our first episode of the new year, because we tend to to be a little bit, a little bit sad. But when you're covering crime, you know, it happens. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to cover murders and not be sad about it. <laughs> I think we would be very concerned about each other if we were like covering murders and we were just like excited. Yes, just like, oh my gosh, murder. I love it. Uh, like dead flesh. Mm. It'd be... <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so that's why our theme for this week will be, and I didn't actually tell Mari what I was going to self-title this episode, but we're going to call it, this is a drum roll sound, who you going to call? Ghostbusters! Um, so we're going to be talking about... The That's OG- so much better than the title I came up with. What was the title you came up with? I just put, based on a true story. <laughs> I mean, that's I'm the using yours. <laughs> so, um, the OG Ghostbusters, Ed and Lorraine Warren, and two of their most famous cases, which both have book and movie adaptations. Um, so I don't know if you want to do a brief description as to who the Warrens are, or I could do that. It's up to up to you. Uh, you do it. I feel like they take more. They're they're more involved in your case. Mm, not so much, but for people who don't really know who the Warrens are, who the originals are, I'm just gonna give you like a brief. Brief sort of uh, idea who they are. So um, Ed and Lorraine Warren were prominent paranormal investigators in the 50s up until the early 90s. Um, So they were the founders of the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. Uh, Ed was a self-taught demonologist and Lorraine was a psychic and medium. Uh, Ed unfortunately passed away in August, August 23rd, 2006. Uh, but Lorraine is still alive, and she is a youthful age of 91. So, that's a little bit about them, and I'm not gonna tell you- That's really impressive. I know, right? She's older than my grandma by one year. One year. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And so, I'm not gonna tell you what prominent cases right now that they did, because we're gonna talk about them anyway for this episode. So, be excited. (laughs) All right, should I jump into mine? Go ahead, I'm ready. Cool. So, my case this episode is on a wildly popular ghost story called The Amityville Horror. Dun, dun, dun! Yeah! (laughs) Um, so before I get into this, um, brief content warning, because I usually forget... Um, this case will deal with familicide, and there's also, like, a small mention of child abuse, Mm -hmm. um, and potentially child sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. although it's not specific. 
or detailed. Yeah. So, like, don't worry. I'm not just going to, like, pile on a bunch of details about assault. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's still a murder <laughs> case, but... um. <laughs> If you like horror movies, then you probably already know about the Amityville Horror. So, released in 1979, the movie follows a family who moves into a new house in Amityville, New York, with a macabre history. But soon after they move in, unexplainable things start to happen. Ba-ba-ba. There's also the 2005 remake with Ryan Reynolds, which is actually the only one that I've seen. Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Um... And I only saw it because it, I was, like, 13 at the time, so I wasn't <laughs> going to watch the, like, original 1979 one. I was like, I'm going to watch the one with the hot guy, Ryan Reynolds. And then we'll see how it goes <laughs> from there. <laughs> um, and, like, it was kind of spooky. Mm. I'm pretty sure it was still, like, a PG-13 movie, though. Yeah, I didn't see it, so I, I, I'll just take your word for it. I get it mixed up with that movie with... Kristen Stewart. I think it's like The Messengers or whatever. Uh, I don't know. It came at similar time. Okay. Anyways, uh, the movie was based off of a 1977 book by Jay Anson, who claims it is a true story. The book was written in partnership with the Lutz family, who say that this horrifying tale really happened to them. So, let's start with the haunting. Okay. In December of 1975, George and Kathy Lutz Lutz moved into 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville with Kathy's three children. They moved in knowing about the famous grisly murders that occurred just over a year prior. And I'll get into the murders in like a ton of detail later. Yeah. But at $80,000 for a five-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath, home with a boathouse and a boat slip into the river behind the house they couldn't turn down such a deal and their children had no qualms about its history Why um do have any say in it at all <laughs> like um and so i looked up with inflation eighty thousand dollars works out to just under four hundred thousand dollars yeah and for a five bedroom home like and this is one of those like dutch colonial like three-story houses yeah kind of a deal um so it's like a like a pretty big house yeah uh as they were moving in the lutz family hired a priest named father ray to come bless their home on the advice of a friend um because you know there was some gruesome murders there so, so why not? And they were like, yeah, sure. Just, like, blast the house and make sure it's not evil. Uh, spoiler alert, didn't work. <laughs> we know how it goes. <laughs> it's the start of the ghost story, so I don't know if it really counts as a spoiler. But <laughs> uh, So according to George Lutz, uh, the priest went inside as the family continued to unpack. Inside, he began to pray going from room to room. The book and film version of the story claim that the priest had oh, claim that the priest heard a voice telling him to get out 
that he developed flu-like symptoms and blisters on his hands or started bleeding from his hands. Which it changes deba- uh, depending on the version. Yeah. Um, however, in an interview with George Lutz in 2005, he said that the priest had just approached him and warned him that one room where he felt something, um, that there was one room that he felt something strange. Yeah. Um, George told him it was being turned into a sewing room and Father Ray told him that no one should sleep in that room. That's such a good omen, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like... This priest comes up and is like, hey, I blessed your house, but, um, but <laughs> I felt something weird in this one room. Oh, oh, that's going to be our sewing room. Good, good. I'm, I don't suggest sleeping in there. Don't, don't, don't do it. Just, don't. uh, a thought. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so it began with cold spots around the house. Um, so, like, George said that there was, like, specific areas in the house where there were just, like, cold spots. Yeah. Including in the basement, in the living room. Um, and there was, like, some of the cold spots were, like, constant. Like, no matter what, when you walked into that part of the room, it would just be freezing. Mm Mm-hmm. Or it would just, like, come and go where they would, like, try and find the cold spot sometimes and it would not be there. Uh, George also began to wake up every night at 3.15 a.m. And remember that time because I'm going to bring it up later. He also claimed that he'd hear mysterious noises around the house and that once it sounded as though a marching band was tuning up in the living room downstairs, but he found nothing when he went to check it out. Uh, Doors and cabinets would also open and slam on their own. You know, your usual typical ghost stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, George even claims that they found a small secret room in the basement um, that gave off an awful odor. Um, Mm. And, like, they found it when they were, like, unpacking their stuff around the house. Yeah. In the basement, there was apparently, like, these bookcases. And I should also mention that, like, they kept all of the furniture from before from the previous owners yeah and um i read somewhere that it was possible that they even just like left them where they found them like they didn't move around the furniture or anything yeah they just kind of let them they just be. came in and was like oh cool furniture guess this stays here now and just like that was that um which i think is spooky yeah, it's like that's somebody else's like furniture. Someone and you else just, is... like leave it how they set it up. Like they yeah. still live there. It almost makes me feel like that home is like not quite your own because yeah. you haven't like personalized it. Um. Yeah. So then they like moved a bookcase and they found this like little door and they opened it up and it's like a tiny room um and he describes it as like like small so small that it could fit like two very friendly people like sitting down (laughs) yeah um he says that when they obtained the original floor plans for the house they couldn't find that room anywhere 
in the in the plans. Mm-hmm. Kind of um, like the and, haunting of Hill House. Mm, exactly. I feel like there was something else that reminded me of the haunting of Hill House at some point, but I don't remember. We'll get there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also said that like their dog at the time was like terrified of this little room. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it was like the only spot in the house the dog like freaked out about. Yeah. Which is, like, weird to me if you're saying that doors are, like, slamming and, like, whatever. Anyways. Yeah. Um, it's fine. It's whatever. It's fine. Okay. Like, dogs are more excitable than cats. And, yeah. like, if I slam a door in my apartment, my cat just, like, runs away. Mm. She's like, I am not down with this loud noise. This is not not in my house. We are not slamming doors in my house. Also, I'm pretty sure my cat, like, plays with the ghosts in my apartment because she'll just, like, stare off in some place and then just, like, run towards it. Yeah. And then she'll just, like, she'll just run around and then she'll just, like, stop and lie down. And I'll be like, cool. Great. At least I know it's a a friendly ghost. (laughs) And, like, literally today while i was finishing up the research for this yeah they were like i heard a weird noises in my hallway and i was like that's just like normal apartment sounds right <laughs> but then she was like staring down the hallway just yeah. like super intently and i had to like go turn on a light even though it was still like four o'clock and like be it. like yeah <laughs> like it's a little bit too dark in here i know it, 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 it's it's still too dark there's a shadow across the room i must turn the light on <laughs> lights always on lights must be on we are a lights only household <laughs> uh yeah basically um okay so george said that the house had strange effects on the family uh kathy his wife um began to age at an alarming rate he claimed in just weeks, she took on the appearance of a 90-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. And it said that, like, in in the interview that he gave in 2005, he said that even her mother noticed. And I was like, are you sure? Because I feel like looking like a 90-year-old woman, you might go to, like, the doctors or something. Yeah, you might have some sort of, like like, actual disease if you're suddenly looking like you're 90 yeah like going from your 30s to 90 yeah i feel like you would be a little bit more alarmed than like hmm, something strange is happening in this house <laughs> like hmm. interesting what but you know that's just me that's my opinion <laughs> um he also said that he began to have thoughts that were strange and different even violent strange and different well he says that they they were thoughts that were not his own Mm -hmm. and he was like very adamant that this was something he never thought before but he wouldn't go into details about what the thoughts were yeah he would just say like when they uh when the interviewer asked if he if they were violent he was just like i've just never had these thoughts before and I was like, what a roundabout way to talk about it. Yeah. Like, you just, it, 
it seems, uh, no. Anyway, it's <laughs> gone. They also claim to have found cloven hoof prints, like from a giant pig, around their house in the snow. Uh, I and do they... remember reading about this in the book. Yes, um, apparently there was just some like giant pig that was staring into the daughter's bedroom or something. Like in the book, it's like a, like a weird pig man. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um. They also said that they heard the children's bed slamming against the floors at night. And finding green gelatinous drops on the carpet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's um interesting. Yeah. So by January fourteenth, nineteen seventy six, twenty eight days after moving into the colonial home, the Lutz family left. After asking for advice from Father Ray again, he told them to find somewhere else to stay so that they could at least just get some sleep. Yeah. They packed up their stuff, and they never returned to the house again. Whatever they didn't take that night, they didn't see again. And um, he made it, like, very clear that they didn't intend on, like, leaving forever. Yeah. They just, like, they packed up, and they went to Kathy's mother's house. Um, And they said that, like, the happenings followed them there. Um, and that there was, like, he talked about, like, seeing her, uh, her levitate in the bed beside him. Yeah. And, like, stuff like that. Mm. Uh, okay, so this is where the Warrens come in. Okay. Several weeks after the Lutzes left, reporter Lauren DiDidio brought a group of paranormal investigators, including Ed and Lorraine Warren. They spent the night going from room to room investigating any ghostly vibrations. They also set up a time-lapse camera on the upper landing. In only one image does the silhouette of what looks to be a young boy appear in the shadow of one of the doors. Uh, This would later become, like, a pretty famous photo among, like, supernatural believers. Yeah. Um, And you've probably seen it before. Um, normally you're right beside me, so I would just show you, but... Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if I've seen it before. There's a chance I've probably seen it and just didn't know what it was. But, um, it's basically, like, this black and white photo. It's super dark, and there's, like, kind of an outline of a person in a doorway. Yeah. Like, a very small person. Um, and I'll get into, like, the theory of who it is later. Okay. Uh, Lorraine Warren says that in the house she felt an overwhelming feeling of horrible depression. Um, And the paranormal investigators claim that there were multiple dark spirits in the house and only an exorcism would get rid of them. Afterwards, George and Kathy Lutz went to see William Weber, the lawyer of... Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr., the man behind the house's horrific history. Mm-hmm. So, let's get into that. All right. So, now we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, which How far is, is the beginning? Before the Lutzes moved in, the house belonged to the DeFeo family. The DeFeos were an upper-middle-class family with five children. 
The father, Ronald Sr., was a domineering man who was uh, apparently abusive to his wife and children, and most notably to his oldest, Butch. I wonder where this is going. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder. As Butch got older, he began to fight back and began to violently lash out, not only at his dad, but at friends and family and everything. Yeah. Um, when he refused to see a psychiatrist, instead of, like, doing anything to actually help him, his parents just, like, gave him money. Uh. And, like, they just gave him a job at his father's company where he was held to no expectations or standards. He was allowed to come and go as he pleased. It didn't matter if he performed well. He, he, it was just given to him. Of course it was. Um, and so he was, like, no matter what, he was given a weekly stipend, um, the same amount every week, no matter whether he went into work or not. Uh, uh, so they did try and kind of appease him, but it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, so to kind of give some context, Butch had threatened a friend on a hunting trip with a rifle at one point, um, and then later on acted as if nothing had happened. Okay. He also tried to shoot his father during an argument between his parents, but the gun malfunctioned. And later, he tried to steal over two, um, over $20,000 from the business by trying to plan a mock robbery um, while he was supposed to be depositing this money into the bank. Um, when his father questioned him, Butch threatened to kill him again. Of course. Then... On November 13th, 1974, things finally came to a head. Sidebar, November 13th is also the anniversary of my first date ever. <laughs> Why this sticks around in my brain? I don't know. But every time I see November 13th, I'm like, hey, That's on a... that day. Uh, so now I can, like, look back at my first date and be like, that happened on the anniversary of horrible, horrible murders. Exactly. What a what a beautiful time, no? I would explain how that relationship went. Anyways. So, at around 3 a.m. that morning, 23-year-old Butch, oh yeah, and he's 23 at this point. Okay took a 35 caliber rifle, entered his parents' room, and shot them both in their beds. Of course he did. Uh, bed. I'm assuming that there was one bed. <laughs> For the parents, at least. Or it could um, be one of those families where they have the two beds and the parents, like, sleep in them separately and then they push them together at night. When the- Anyway. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was one bed. I just said beds because I can't speak. That is also a fair, fair reason. Uh, from there, he moved to his brother's bedroom, uh, and shot both of them in their beds. Then he entered the bedrooms of his sisters and shot them as well. It only took 15 minutes to do all of that. So he murdered six people in 15 minutes. Yeah. They were all found lying on their stomachs in bed. 
which is kind of weird. I feel like he probably put them there like that. Yeah. Which is even like, more uh, depressing. Yeah. There's like the theory that it was like s- sort, they were sort of staged. Yeah. Um, then he went to work. Uh, when he returned that evening, he showed up at a local bar and told them that someone had broken into his home and shot his entire family. His fans, his fans, his friends. <laughs> okay, let's try that again. His mm. friends arrived at the house and contacted police, which I don't know why that wouldn't seem suspicious to yeah. police. Like he goes home, sees all the bodies of his family. And then goes to... And then, yeah, then goes to a bar. Yeah, and not immediately to the police. Hmm. Like, hmm. like he left his home and the bodies of his dead family, went to the bar, had to talk to his friends, and they had to come back, see the dead bodies... And then call the police. And, like, he didn't call the police after they suggested it. Like, they actually called it. I saw, like, a transcription of, like, the phone, the 911 call. Yeah. And it was, like, literally one of his friends was like, I don't know what happened. My friend just told me to come over and his whole family's dead. <laughs> like, like, oh, Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Butch told them that he, uh, so Butch told the police that he believed that Louis Fellini, a mafia hitman, had committed the murders while he was at work. But they discovered that the family would have been more, would have been murdered before Butch had even left for work. So his story changed. He then claimed that Fellini showed up at the house, held him at gunpoint, and forced him to watch as Fellini killed his entire family. But that story didn't hold up either, and Butch didn't. would eventually confess to the murders. Uh, during his trial, William Weber, his attorney, tried to plea insanity, claiming that he heard voices telling him to kill his family and that he had a dissociative disorder. However, on November 21st, 1975, Butch was found guilty on six counts of second-degree murder, which I think is weird. Like, I think it should be first-degree, but whatever. Yeah. He was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences that he's still serving today. He's still alive? I think so. Like, everything I read said he was still alive, but some of it was a few years old. Yeah. All right, so now I'm going to get into the theories. Um... I try to keep it relatively short because everything else was really long. Yeah. Uh, so there's one theory about the murders themselves. Um, so some people, like documentarian Ryan Katzenbach, claim that there had to be a second shooter. The rifle was never fitted with a silencer, and none of his victims had moved from their beds, and no neighbors reported having heard gunshots. Katzenbach hired a team of underwater archaeologists who found a gun he claims is from the murder in the canal behind the house. He also claims that police reports point to a second shooter, but once they had Butch, they stopped investigating. Um, although Suffolk County Police, which is the 
police force that was investigating say that that's not true um, and that they are, like, pretty sure they have their guy. Yeah. Um, although it is still quite weird. It reminds me of... Um, Uh, what's his name? I did hit, I did a case on him back for Father's Day. Oh, 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 that guy. I don't remember his name. But, um, it's that other familicide case where yeah. the dad, like, like, went through the entire house and killed his whole family. Yeah. Um, or am I thinking of an even different case? Everybody murders their whole families. Like, y'all gotta stop. Yeah, everyone's just like, don't kill your families. No matter, don't just don't do it. Don't but, do it. Anyway. Yeah, so it's like, it is very strange that, like, nobody heard the gunshots. Like, this wasn't as big of a house as in that case where, like, they had, like, a mansion and, like, with, like, eight floors or whatever, and, like, so if you shot someone in one part of the house, you wouldn't hear it in the other. Like, it was yeah. still, like, a five-bedroom home. So, like, like, I grew up in a four-bedroom house. Yeah. And, like, it may not have been, like, the biggest four-bedroom house, but, like, it was still, like, pretty, pretty spacious. And... I could hear, like, everything happening in that house. I mean, I live in the basement, and I can hear, still hear people doing stuff two floors above me. Yeah, like, I I could hear my dad watch movies in the basement from my bedroom on the second floor. So, it's like... So, like, a gunshot, like, especially, like, a rifle? Mm. Like, no gun is, is actually quiet, even with a silencer. They're still pretty darn loud. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, that brings me to my next point. Uh... The rifle... Oh, wait, did I already say that? The rifle was never fitted with a silencer, they found. I don't think you mentioned that, but in case you did, it's good for re- reiterating it. Reiterating it. Yeah, so the the rifle was never fitted with a silencer. None of his victims had moved from their beds. Unless they did, and he put them back in their beds, and that's why they were all face down on their stomachs. Yeah. Um, Which, like... Very possible because, like, your whole family lies down on their stomachs when they sleep. That seems mm, unlikely. Like a weird family trait. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, which would be even weirder because... Yeah. Oh, wait, no. It was George Lutz was a stepfather, not this dad. This dad was the bio dad. But that's not important um Uh, so yeah um and then there's a theory about the hauntings themselves uh it's very possible that the infamous haunting was completely falsified oh okay so weber the attorney claims that the lutz family approached him um after like this whole incident supposedly took place. Um, and so the Lutz family says they approached him because um, George was like, oh, like, maybe 
it was this weird haunting shit that caused this guy to murder his whole family. Mm-hmm. And but Weber says that like they showed up and they started drinking wine and that pretty much they just came up with the whole story together. Mm-hmm. Um, Weber was trying to use the publicity it would cause to get another trial for Butch. Um, oh. And the, uh, and that the Lutzes were just trying to kind of profit off of uh, the the publicity. The Lutzes, however, claim that while they might have embellished a few points, that the haunting was very real. Mm-hmm. Anyways, in 2013, Daniel Lutz, who was nine at the time spoke about the haunting for the first time in the documentary My Amityville Horror. He recalled uh, strange things happening in the house. And after they moved out, Daniel ended up running away and became a drifter. He also says that George uh, Lutz, who died in 2006, was an abusive man and that he potentially brought on the haunting because he dabbled in the occult and was able to levitate objects with his mind. Mm. So Daniel thought he was, like, psychic because he had a memory of him levitating some weird object with his mind once. Yeah. Um, those who watched the documentary suggest that Daniel had been sexually abused by George and his memories of the hauntings was his young mind's way of coping with the trauma. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's probably the most likely situation was mm-hmm. that George, who was a stepfather of these children, he had just married Kathy, I think, at this point. Because um, all of the children were from a previous marriage. Yeah. So they were, like, this house, they were trying to find a house so to live together for the first time. So it kind of makes sense that that would be when things start going weird and strange. Exactly. And it it makes me feel like that's how he, like, this haunting business is how he justified the, like, violence he, like, committed onto these people. Mm-hmm. And so he could just be like, no, 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 I wasn't, like, a weird, violent man. I it was, was just being ghosts. haunted. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's the case of the Amityville Horror. (laughs) There it is. And, uh, yeah, I managed to make it sad again. A little bit, but it could have been a lot worse. Yes, this is true. Um, I mean, (laughs) when we were thinking up, like, themes for this episode... I was just like, I'm just going to let Jasmine pick because all of mine are super depressing and I think we should leave <laughs> leave me out of the picking process. And yet it's still, because my, my story has no actual, no murder, legitimate murder in it. Well, it's a good thing we're ending off on you. <laughs> are you ready? You bet I am. Someone light the candle. Turn out the lights. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. I'm just kidding. We're totally not doing this. 
Welcome to the Lady Dicks Podcast, Season 2. We're about to rain some seriously weird shit down on you. Pirates. Witches. And lots of bitches. More ghosts. Uh, I think they prefer to be called specters. Mummies. Lots of mummies. The wrapped in fabric kind, not the pack your lunch kind. Gangstas. Like gangs of New York. Like Al Capone. No Leo. No Leo. Ships. So many ships. Okay, so here's the deal. You can find us on all of your favorite podcasting apps, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. Seriously? Yeah, we're on Spotify. I mean, granted, I don't have Spotify, so I can't check. Well, search the Lady Dicks podcast on wherever you listen and you'll find us. Anyway, so tell me about yours, because I actually haven't watched the movie version or read the books. And so I know absolutely nothing about it. All right. Well, I have chosen the Perrin family case, or what is more popularly known, The Conjuring. So The Conjuring came... It was me being a ghost. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was me just reacting to the fact that it's The Conjuring. All I heard was whoop, 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 whoop. Oh, like, I was going, woo. Oh, maybe because I was talking, it was getting all chopped up. So I just heard, like, I didn't hear that. Anyway. So I was basically um, just Pac-Man. Basically. Uh, so The Conjuring came out uh, July 15, 2013. Uh, five years? No, six years. Wow. Yeah. It's been some time. Okay. Well, that's when it came out. <laughs> And essentially, the movie is about the the Perrin family. It takes place in 1971. Uh, this family of two parents and five kids, so a family of nah, seven, um, <laughs> <laughs> move into an old farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Whoa, uh, that's exactly how the Lutzes start, because they're a family of seven, I think. Yeah, these big, big families. Two big families. Like, why? Why so many? I guess this was more... Oh, wait, no. It was the... I keep mixing up the Lutzes with the DeFeos. Because there's two families in your case. Yes. Yeah. The DeFeos had a family of seven. Yeah. Big, big families. Uh, So, the daughter... the, The... It was five daughters. The oldest being Andrea. Next would be Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. Um, so many daughters. It is a lot of daughters. And then in the movie adaptation, there is also a dog. Oh. Um, yes. I like dogs. Well, dogs and horror don't mix, though. That's true. They never... Or dogs in most movies don't mix, because apparently movie makers hate dogs, or animals in general. Anyway. But the dog was added in, right? It's not like, that part's not based on a true story? No, that part's not based on a true story. Okay, good. We can continue on with this story, then. Yes. So, I had seen that movie by myself at home. It was the first serious, quote-unquote serious, uh, scary movie I'd watched all on my own, and it was pretty good at the time. Um, I had some pretty decent stares. Stares? Scares? Um, Mari hasn't seen it, so I I'm not trying to, I don't want to spoil too many things. Was The Conjuring the one where in the trailer there's like that kid with the match and then like a ghost just appears out of nowhere and is just like yeah, the clapping game hide and seek. Okay, cuz I've only seen like the trailer and that part just makes me burst out laughing every <laughs> single time because it just looks so silly. Without any context. <laughs> in the it's movie, just like a kid <laughs> sitting in the dark. And then somebody just pops out of nowhere. It's just like, clap, clap. 
because they're playing a hide and go seek clap. So like you're in the dark and like instead of or it's like it's more like Marco Polo where like the person who's who's trying who's it is trying to find the people and you say Marco or whatever and they say Polo instead it's like clapping to find who is hiding okay, where. So instead of saying Polo, you clap. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Basically like that. Okay. It's much creepier in the film. I don't want to ever play hide and go see clap. Like I I don't know why I don't want to play that game. That's scary. Anyway. Um, I guess it's better than just hide and go seek in the dark. Hide and go seek in the dark is fine just the way it is. It's already dark. <laughs> That's already scary enough. Um, so at the time when I saw this film, I didn't know this was based off a real case or that the Warrens were even real people. Um, like I was, I, I didn't know any of this. Uh, so the parents' family uh, moved in in 1971 into this 14-bedroom 14, 14 home. A lot of wow. rooms. Yeah. Pretty That's big. That's a lot of rooms. Yeah. And according to Andrea, uh, Andrea is the oldest daughter. She had written a book called House of Darkness about her whole experience living in, or her family's whole experience living in the household um, from their perspective because... Um, most of the time when you, when things are happening to people, oftentimes articles or whatever are written kind of from like, obviously from a more objective point of view. So that's how she wanted to get their story out. Anyway, she, she had said that, uh, when they'd moved into the house, the, the guy who had, was selling the house to them had told them to leave the lights on at night. Ooh. Yeah. That's a weird thing to tell somebody. <laughs> Yeah, by the way, um, just so you know, <laughs> just, like, don't turn off your lights at night. Just, like, just, just like, leave them wait off. till the sun comes up, and then you can turn your lights off. <laughs> yeah. Like, if someone told me back, I'd be like, is there a refund I can get for this house? Like, do I... It sounds like I'm going to be spending a lot on electricity, <laughs> so, so, like, maybe I should just find a different house <laughs> with 14 rooms. Yeah, because this doesn't seem worth it at all. Because that's... Okay. 14 rooms is a lot of rooms to keep lit constantly yeah, and, yeah in the 1970s before we had more efficient ways of like 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 en- more efficient means of like energy for like it, it is expensive to leave the lights on in every room every night i don't so even a- like leaving my lights on like in my one bedroom yeah I'm if like... i wasn't in a basement i probably barely turn on my lights and I still barely, like, mainly at night is when I have my my basement or my bedroom light on. If there's any sort of sun or any sort of light outside, I usually have the light off. So. Yeah, like, if it wasn't for, like, the ghosts in my hallway today, I would have let my, in my whole apartment go dark before I even got up to turn on a light. Yeah. But so, that's just laziness on my part. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the light switch is so far away. So, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we're told to as not. long as we get each other yes um when the parent family first moved in they began to notice like little things happening uh their stuff would like move around like their their broom would go missing or like they had like according to them, like a spirit that would like swept up for them at night because no one would get up to sweep it would just they wake up and their floor would be swept or their broom would be gone, or like toys would go missing, and no one knew where these items were in their fourteen-bedroom household. They'd hear sounds. I mean, 
<laughs> I I feel like I would lose things in a 14 bedroom yeah. house. But also, how convenient. I, can I get like, a cleaning ghost? Of all the different <laughs> kinds of ghosts you could have, you have one that sweeps up your 14 bedroom house. Well, just the kitchen. Only the kitchen. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess they were just like really dirty in but the kitchen. Also and the ghost was like, leave. hey, I want to make a sandwich, but there's dirt everywhere. According to one source, there is like one ghost that would just leave like a pile of dirt in the middle of the kitchen. So I guess like there are two ghosts who are kind of feuding. One would be like, this is my dirt. It stays here. <laughs> and the other one was just like, no, this kitchen must be clean. And maybe I'm it was just like. <laughs> this visual in my brain, just like one ghost dropping a pile of dirt in the middle of the floor and the other ghost just turning around like, excuse me? <laughs> like, did you not just see? I just swept there. Do you know how and then like time? the sun comes up. <laughs> and, like, the family comes down the steps and they have to, like, scatter or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and the family's just like, this place seems cleaner than before. Like, what? What happened in the night? Hmm. Hmm. So they'd also hear sounds and, like, weirdly specifically scraping against their kettle. And the like kettle? They just they just chalked it up to, like, that just being, like, old house sounds. They're just like, oh, that's just, like, an old house thing. Like, but like the kettle yeah the kettle's not part of the house that was pretty consistent across like all the sources that i used like some had more extreme uh mentions of like what sort of things were happening in the house and like what wasn't but one thing that everyone seemed to agree on was that there was like a weird scratching sounds coming from a kettle like from inside the kettle or just, just... against a kettle so the the sweeping ghosts like really like tea? I don't know. Like, I'm trying to imagine. Is there like a ghost that just sits there all day scratching its nails against the the kettle, just like this is gonna drive them crazy. Like they're <laughs> gonna go nuts. With this high pitched sound. Like I don't. Like of all the things to scrape against, <laughs> like the kettle. Yeah. At least with the Amityville house, it was like the children's beds, it was cabinets and doors. Yeah. <laughs> some evil pig guy. Yeah. They're not... And this is like, I sweep your house and I scrape your kettle. <laughs> yep. That's Okay, that's... continue. <laughs> and that was like for the the first two months, uh, according to the kids, the five daughters, yeah. um, they began to notice little spirits around the home. Uh, and so for the first two months, it was just like they were the spirits in their homes were like benign roommates who occasionally did annoying things. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, oh, there's the dirt ghost again. There it goes, dropping its pile of dirt in the middle of the kitchen. Like, what's up with that? Like, oh, there it goes Scratchy again. Like, what's going on? But so it was strange, but like nothing they couldn't really handle. Whereas alternatively, in the movie. Almost immediately from the get-go, like, the first day the family moves into the house, they play, and they they have barely even finished unpacking, and they're exploring the house, they play a game of, like, hide-and-go-seek, clap, and, like, crazy shit's already happening. Like, ghosts are clapping in the darkness and blowing out matches and whispering things, and... Well, with a movie, you only have, like, what, like, an hour and a half? Yeah. To, to really build up to this sort of stuff. Um, and in... The movie, the family has a dog, and the dog absolutely refuses to enter the house. It will not go anywhere near it. So, like, I guess our dog's an outside dog now. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> it won't come inside. Um, so this is where things start to get a little more um, weird, a little more violent in terms of the ongoings in the house. Um, the family claimed that at 5.15 a.m. every night, the smell of rotting flesh would rise through the house and, like, would force everyone out of bed. So every night they'd be getting out because it just stunk of rotting flesh. Um, and this... Wait, so when did this start happening? After about two months. Okay. So they were there for two months and then the rotting smell happened. Yeah. It wasn't like they, like, moved in and then suddenly there was, like, rotting smells... No. And they were just like, you know what? Let's just stay here. No, no, no. It was, it was just the annoying little little ghost shenanigans that was happening that they could basically tolerate. Um, so that's basically what happened. And then uh, the oldest daughter, Andrea, who did the most sort of talking prior to the events about what happened in the household, uh, so that her father would feel a cold and stinking presence behind him. Uh, whenever they'd go, he'd go down into the basement. Yuck. I mean, basements are cold and smelly, so that's something. Uh, the whole family tried to avoid going into the dirt-floored cellar. Uh, it just made them that all... That seems reasonable. Yeah, it, it just made them feel so uncomfortable being in there. Uh, but whenever the heating would, like, quote-unquote, mysteriously fail, um, they had to go down there to fix it so they could be warm, which makes mm. sense. Uh, now, according to Andrea, again, her name's gonna come up a lot. Uh, the black this was the oldest daughter. The right? oldest daughter, yes. Uh, the Black Book of Burryville, Burrysville, uh, which is the formis formis. Gosh, I can't read the former public records book. Um, so there had been over eight generations of one extended family who had lived in their farmhouse before the parents. And in this household, when you have that many like generations living in a household, there's going to be a lot of history. Obviously, people died in there. There were a few suicides in there, apparently. Um, so it had a long history. And that's so why... So this was the previous owners? Yeah, the previous owners. It was owned by eight generations of like, one family. So like eight generations of people. I don't know how many years that spans back, but that's a long time. That's like, I'm assuming that's like pioneers. Yeah, but like the, I'll, I'll, I have more to say. Um, okay. So the Arnold family was the family who owned it before. Um, they are believed to be the ones who were haunting the home. Um, and the most uh, malevolent of the spirits was called Bathsheba. Or Bathsheba? I don't know exactly how it's pronounced. Um... And so, that name can, sounds familiar. You can visit her her broken great her like tombstone in Harrisville, Rhode Island. It's oh. almost like, and there's a little bit of history about her in the movie. She's like a witch, or was a witch who like offered her child up to the devil, like sacrificed her child to the devil, and like. She's the reason why all that death and misery happened in the household and so on and so forth. And that's why she's trying to, like, possess the mother in the movie. Um, mm. And then in real life, Bathsheba Sherman, uh, she did not have the last name Arnold. Uh, 
due to rumors was to believe to be a Satanist who, uh, there's two varying stories to this legend of what she was believed to be, who either killed her neighbor's child or an infant had died in her care. And when they went to invest, not investigate, um, what's the one I'm looking for? When they went to examine the baby, uh, it was determined a large sewing needle had impaled the infant's skull. Oh. And the townspeople believed it was an offering to the devil. Once again, uh, there was insufficient evidence, meant she was never found guilty, but the townspeople never forgot. Uh, this has been dispelled. As far as we know, Bathsheba was just your regular old, not regular old, but like just a lady who people had just started rumors about. So this is probably kind of just like buying into like the whole satanic panic stuff. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm thinking. They're just they're like, oh, this makes the most sense. Everyone since like the mid this happened, she died. These rumors were going around in the mid 1800s. Um, so well over a hundred years before the parent family moved into that household. So obviously they're not going to have the most accurate information about who was living in their house before. Yeah. Um, so Andrea Perrin claimed that the angry spirit at Bathsheba was intimidated by her mother, Carolyn, the matrix of the family, since that was once um, Bathsheba's role when she was alive. Uh, in an interview with the Providence Journal, she claimed she had seen a woman in gray moaning next to her bed, get out, get out, I'll drive you out with death and gloom. Mm. Yeah. And Andrea also said, Wherever this, whoever the spirit was, she perceived herself to be the mistress of the house, and she resented the competition my mother posed for that position. Uh, so I don't exactly know where that's really coming from per se because it really could i don't i don't know i don't like why why she thought that this ghost was intimidated by her mother because nowhere well, even in the, just even in the legend trying to figure out anything yeah. any kind of like explanation yeah it just oh, doesn't make any sense anyway so the parents uh Alleged they were often, like, pinched and poked and prodded by invisible forces. Um, Carolyn, the mother, was particularly bothered by the spirit. She was getting physically assaulted. In the movie that happens to her as well, um, it it starts off focusing on the kids, like, attacking them in the middle of the night. Sort of all the diff- Not just that particular spirit, but all the little spirits in the household. They're up to nonsense and, like scaring the crap out of everybody um and so according to i guess the family what they believed was that the spirit of Bathsheba was trying to get them to leave like kind of just like annoyingly trying to get them getting them to leave and then that wasn't working so uh she possessed the mother so she could horrify the family the family further and get them to leave and according to Andrea, being possessed left her mother, Caroline, weak and emotionally drained. I feel like that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense if you're being 
flung around, like being like if, if you're being very, very physical and 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 all over the place is bound to take like some sort of toll on you. And then this was from both Andrea and Cynthia, so two of the two of the um, parent children. A family friend attended a talk that the Warrens were giving, and that's how the Warrens became attached to this case. So now the Warrens have entered the conjuring situation. Um, by the time the Warrens ar- arrived, the parents were thoroughly spooked. They really wanted to get out of this house. And now in the movie, the the Warrens are like, hey, like even if you leave this house, the spirit has basically attached itself to your family. So no matter where you go, like it's going with you. So the only way to get rid of the spirit is to exercise you, but we can't do that without the go-ahead from the Catholic Church. Um, in this case, in real life, uh, the Warrens had arrived, they cleansed the home, and they conducted a seance in the basement. Uh, Andrea claims that she snuck down into the basement to watch the seance, and she and she was a- unable to look at her mother the same way after what she witnessed. Her mother's voice was not her own, and she was speaking in tongue. Her chair levitated, and she was flung around the, ba- the basement. Um, after that, Roger Parent the father kicked the Warrens out of their home. Uh, he was concerned for his wife's mental stability and also worried about what what his daughter just saw would do to her own uh, sort of mental stability as well. Mm-hmm. And over the course of because of their financial situation, uh, they couldn't leave the house. They couldn't move. So they're they're there for almost a decade, just kind of dealing with. A the decade. Shit. Yeah. Man, the loot has only lasted 28 days. No, they, they, they could, if they could have moved, but it was hard to find someone who would take in a family of seven. Yeah, so especially it, a family of seven that's used to 14 rooms. <laughs> that's two rooms a person. Well, it was cheap. Why do you need that many rooms? It was cheap. They could afford it. In an old farmhouse? Like. Was it cheap because of. All of the murder, or not murders, <laughs> all, all of, of the ghosts. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I mean, it was one family had lived there, and I guess their last relatives kind of died off. So the house, it was just like an old farmhouse. It probably didn't cost them that much. They weren't like a super rich family. Uh-huh. So if they have a big family, you can get a 14 bedroom house on the cheap. And all you have to do is deal with some ghosties. Like, maybe you'll be okay. <laughs> so according to, to to the parents, living in that house for like nine years was hell. Um, and as soon as they got an opportunity to leave, they left. They, they fled so fast. Um, and so when it came to learning more of the details about the seance... Andrea won't really talk about it besides those like those like minor things and you do see those things in the film like the mother being possessed and being like tied down to a chair and like speaking in tongue and like levitating chair that all sort of stuff um, except in the movie they actually perform an exorcism without the okay from the Catholic Church um, and that basically fixed a lot of stuff not everything in the in the ending of the first film like most films nowadays, there's always the suggestion of a sequel. Um, which there is a Conjuring 2, but it's not 
based on that, it's on a different family who's, I think it's the end, the end, end something. What's the ender? I forget what family it is. I don't know. So, in terms of if the house was still haunted, according to, I mean, not the best sources, apparently every family who's lived in that house has experienced something, like minor things, except for one of the most recent residents, who happened to be, I believe, a priest, I think. And Lorraine Warren said, of course, he wouldn't admit to experiencing anything, because that's how they are. So like priests, yeah, when they experience something supernatural, supernatural, they wouldn't admit to something like that. So, like, she's her explanation is that he's probably experiencing hauntings too. He just won't talk about it. I also feel like if like you need like a Catholic exorcism or whatever, like a priest is not going to be the guy that you bug if you're a ghost. Yeah, you're not... If I'm a ghost, and I know some guy could potentially perform an exorcism on me, I'm not going to be messing with him. Like, that's logic. I hope that one ghost was dumping all the dirt in his kitchen, though. <laughs> just, like, just, like, dumping. Like, I don't... Fuck you, I don't care. I'll put my dirt wherever I, like I want to. I like the idea of a priest just, like, coming into his kitchen and just being like, what the fuck? Like, like, like what, what is this? there just a pile of dirt in the middle of the floor? Like, what? Like, what happened? Like, and then the sweeping ghost is like, I'm not cleaning up. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I've been dealing with this for a hundred years. I won't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> not I. Nope. <laughs> so, yes, no murders. No murders in my story. The Conjuring movie is a lot more spooky than what, quote unquote, happened in real life. But, like, I guess if I lived in a household where, like, those things were happening, it'd still be pretty spooky, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I had to put it up with it for nine years. Well, like... It's a long time. I... I can't put up with, like... <laughs> like, my cat staring at one point in the wall. Yeah. So, like, I feel like nine years of, like, dirt piles and ghostly sweeping and (laughs) kettle scratching and actual possessions would be a little upsetting. I don't think um, the Mother Carolyn was ever possessed again after that one time in the, after, like, the, 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 the initial time in the remaining nine years they were in that place so to just put up with i guess the minor stuff i guess wouldn't be so bad i don't know it's i i I, we're not there we weren't there so i just feel like you would be constantly waiting for it to happen though oh yeah that's true like if it happened to you once like what could stop it from happening again that is true. So, like, that would be terrifying for, like, nine years just being, like, okay, like, what if today's the day I get possessed again? Yeah. So, I don't know. In conclusion, what I want you guys to get out of this is you guys watch The Conjuring. It's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I did not, actually. 
Monster but like, maybe I will after this. The second one's fairly decent, too. You sort of, like, get more... There's, like, throughout a lot of the Conjuring universe, they touch on a lot of... A lot more of the Warren cases as well, like the Annabelle doll and stuff. Oh, yeah. I saw that on the the Warren's website. Yeah, it's, like, one of their oh. first big cases. Listeners, you need to visit <laughs> warrens.net. It's a lovely little website. Yes. <laughs> Very lovely. For this 50-year-old investigation society <laughs> started by the Warrens. Yes. My dear sweet Ed and Lorraine Warren. With their very interesting website design and yes. layout. <laughs> they have the best of the best of designers. You can tell their money went to to good use. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, just, like, pause and go look at it, like, right now so you can understand why we're laughing. Yeah. It's something. It's a sight to behold. Um, I don't really have anything else more to say about The Conjuring, because the actual case itself is not super, 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 super detailed. It's like, oh, this stuff happened, and then it kept happening, and then they, they, they eventually got to leave the end. Like, that's it. Yeah, I guess it's not as exciting as, like, we were plagued by ghosts for 28 days and then we ran away. Yeah, <laughs> it's different. <laughs> the the, the build-up and the payoff is completely different. That's why Although, I'm like... mine is more likely to be fake. Because of, like, all the, the stuff. Yeah, like, and also, like, one police officer said that they never contacted the police in the entire time... And that they also claim that, like, $1,500 went missing and that there was all of this, like, physical damage to the house. Yeah. And they didn't report it a single time before moving out. Yeah. So, I don't know what that means, though. Uh, George Lutz claims that he did have paperwork for the repairs that were done to the house, but that it got lost in the shuffle. Sure. So it's like, okay, if you say so. What I find kind of funny is, like, the only reason the parents were familiar with the Warrens is because of the Amityville, the Amityville horror, like, the actual case, not the movie. But, like, every time I think about like now that I'm thinking about it, the Warrens don't really do anything. They kind of just show up when they're like... Was, yep, this, that's this, a ghost. That's a ghost, and then they peace out and like, <laughs> like they have yeah, they no just come ex- in. They're like, "Hey, you need an exorcism." Okay, bye. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> nothing, nothing gets done. <laughs> it's like if I went to the doctor with like I don't know, say like a big old like like cancerous mole on like my arm, and doctor looks like, "Yep, yeah, that mole's gonna kill you," and then like left, and then like that was it. Like, that's the end of your appointment. Bye. That's that's it. And like, I'm trying to remember other books that I read on or listened to on some other Warren cases. If they actually really did anything in those ones either, and it's like not really. The movies definitely give them a lot more to do than they actually did. <laughs> well, what are you gonna do with a movie? 
You can't just be like, and here's nine years of kettle scratching. <laughs> Enjoy. Oscar nomination. Done. <laughs> uh, actually, a couple points of your story reminded me of stuff I forgot to mention in mine. Awesome. So the first thing I'll mention is that one of the theories that the paranormal investigators had was that um, the house, the Amityville house, was built on some, like... Don't say it. Are you going to say Native American? Like... Pretty much. <sighs> but, okay, they said that it's where they put all of their, like, mean and nasties. Okay. But the, like, tribe that they say was there, they actually, like... Not the investigators, but, like, a reporter actually went and, like, talked to them. And they were like, we were never in that part. Yeah. Of the of the country. Like, That's not we... where we were. We were 70 miles away. <laughs> we're on the other That's side. Not very useful land to us. Yeah. So. Um, and that there wasn't any other tribes or bands or, or you know, whatever um, connected to that particular plot of land yeah and then the other thing i remembered was that um the house has actually been sold like a couple times since then Mm -hmm. but literally nobody else has ever experienced anything else ever again um and that uh the reason that the house has probably like sold for like less than it's worth is probably more to do with the fact that Every Halloween, tourists just come to, like, stare at the house. That's a that's a pretty, pretty good reason not to want to move in. Yeah. Like, the m- most recent seller, like, lost money on the house. Like, he bought it for, like, $9.50, and he ended up selling it for, like, 6 something. Oh, that's losing out. Yeah, it's like a lot of money, but he got it under asking price too because it was originally listed at one point one five million dollars. That's over asking. Yeah, but he was like, "Nah, I'm only gonna, I'm only gonna do nine something because yeah. doesn't seem worth it." Because fuck you and your chickens. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and I think those were the... the two things that you're trying to remember. Yeah. So anything else? Um, so before I plug our social media, um, don't forget to also uh, contribute to our Patreon if yeah. you have the ability to. Yeah. Uh, this month we added on another patron, so we're at a total of three patrons. Woo! So thank you, Tam. Thanks. Uh, I'm not going to say their last name because I, I didn't get permission. That's fair. Um, well, like, they didn't say anything. <laughs> it's You're supposed to email with the, your special greeting so I know what how to refer to you. So if you decide to contribute to the Patreon, please do email us as well with all of the information that you want to share because we can also give shout-outs to any projects that you're doing. Yeah. Um, or you can just follow us on social media. 
Uh, Twitter is at six sad world SSW. And Instagram is also at six sad world pod. Yes. And all there's just lots of undercases. Undercases? What is that? Underscore. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I would help you if I know what you meant. Yeah. We're a mess. I'm tired. You are. <laughs> I feel like I, I did everything in the wrong order today. But you know uh, what? Maybe this will be our new format. Maybe people will be like, wow, they really nailed entertainment value this time. Amazing. Maybe. <laughs> what can hope? <laughs> I feel like that's not the case, though. It's it's going to be everybody sitting there like, wow, this was a very disjointed story. <laughs> hey. I'm a little confused as to what actually <laughs> happened. It's 2019. We should be more optimistic. Well, at least we don't have ghosts scratching at our kettles. I don't even own a kettle, so fuck you, ghosts. <laughs> Try me. No, don't. I'm scared. Don't do it. <laughs> I have an electric kettle, so I feel like it would be hard to get that same kind of scratchy noise. Maybe. Unless you have a cat and she scratches things, so maybe it wouldn't bother you. No, I'm always checking what she's scratching. Oh. I hear scratching. I'm always like, what are you wrecking? <laughs> what are you wrecking up? What do I have to replace now? <laughs> but she's so cute. How can you how can you be mad? So, as we always say, it's one thing we never ever forget to do, is say to don't be a murderer. Cause don't do it. Really don't do it. We can't emphasize that enough. And if you do murder and or are murdered, don't haunt your houses. Don't. Please don't. Let people live in your empty-ass home. Yeah, come on. We're having Jesus. a housing crisis, people. We are. Be kind. Anyway. <laughs> That's all we wanted you guys to know, because we care. <laughs> yes. So all don't right. be a murderer. Or a poltergeist. We'll that as well. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.